أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم أليس الله بكاف نبدا Chapter 39 verse 37 Allah Almighty says Is not Allah sufficient for His servant? In today's dars, this will be part 3 in which we are going to discuss this verse in more detail أليس الله بكاف نبدو and as you all know that many of us may have rings with the engravement or engraving of Alayhi Sallallahu Bikafin Abdahu and just diving deeper into what it means, how it affects our lives and where it applies in our lives is all part and parcel of this dars to really get uh, more familiar with this uh, concept. Now keeping that in mind, there's an additional So as we know that we discussed this verse, Alayhi Salaahu Bikafin Abdahu, it has the word Abd that is there, which opens the door for everybody or anybody who truly demonstrates being that true servant of Allah, automatically this verse can apply on them. But uh, as we've talked about before, there's two angles, and this is really a hidden prophecy, really outlining the entire life of the Holy Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. The first and foremost is that there should be a threat, a difficulty, a challenge. Something that is absolutely impossible to overcome. Something that that of, that servant has tried in numerous ways but cannot overcome. And then at that very moment from heaven, Allah Almighty says, Allahu He basically says to his servant, is Allah not sufficient? Am I not enough to resolve your problems, to fix your issue? And then of course, a wave of and the impossible descends on the servant of Allah and things that are unbelievable become very believable. We've discussed already two stories and elements of the life of the Holy Prophet Muhammad even before he was born or in his infancy. And I know that many of us may um, either have the misunderstanding that somehow this verse was revealed later, but how is Alayhi Salaam being applied even before his birth? But really what it means that Hazrat Khalifa Sisani has addressed is that the fact is that when it was revealed, it was both telling of the future and summarizing his past. Saying that his entire life from day one was exactly like this. There were instances where problems and challenges and threats would appear. But every time Allah would say from heaven, and then a way was made. And really if you and I reflect on his life, we start looking at those stories when he was, you know, three years in the boycott or when they were, you know, every single element of his life, you'll notice this exact point. But let's talk a little bit for a second. Let's take a step back and talk about an abdis, an abdis, servant, or even the word ibadah or ibadat, which is worship. Many of us have this, so to speak, misunderstanding of the word worship. And a lot of our folks may think that worship here means that you prostrate before Allah and God's intention of creating us. That I have not created the men and the jinn, but that they should worship me. That somehow, what is implied here is that we should just be prostrating and doing sajda all day long. 
That, of course, is not a reality. That's not the truth. And any of our youth who think this, is, this is the reason why they run from the masjid. They think once they come to the masjid, you'll keep them here all day. They'll never get to leave. And, and that is how you expect them to live their lives. But the reality is, worship does not mean to prostrate all day. In fact, it's very far from that meaning. In, if you look deeper in the Holy Quran, chapter 2, verse 22, the very first commandment that is given to us also uses this word of worship. It talks about how you and I are commanded to worship Allah. And why? Because it will make you righteous. And because those of you before also did the same. But what is this worship? Again, is it simply prostrating? Because many of us prostrate. Sometimes the most cruel of people are those who are prostrating, but they go home. They are abusive to their wives and to their children. They are verbally abusive. They are outright, you know, not true to what that ibadat is. So then what's the point? If the purpose is to prostrate, they are prostrating, but they are in no way or form an exemplary person for anybody to follow, then what is the purpose of this verse? Is our life simply designed to do this type of worship? And the answer is again, and we've discussed this in a few meetings before, but the answer is that worship here is like the worship, if I were to say even in a worldly sense, if somebody said they love basketball, and they said, I worship Michael Jordan. It does not mean that they have a poster in their room and they're doing sajda to it. It would be very far from that meaning. What it would mean is that everything he did, the way he did it, how he did it, the amount of effort he put into it, that is how I worship Michael Jordan. I make sure I dribble and I shoot and I practice every day, you know, 24 hours a day or as much as I possibly could in order to be like Michael Jordan. That is exactly what worship here also means. The intention is to be like Allah. You know in the Bible it says the term, the image of Allah or the image of God. That is actually more real or more tangible in the realm of Islam than in any other religion. Because you can only be the image of God if you know what that image is. According to Christians, that image can be a human being who walks on this earth and hides from people and is fearful and and then curses his own family. That is not an image of Allah. But you and I have been given an image of Allah. If you look at the Holy Quran, the attributes of Allah that are mentioned, the 99 names, and a couple of others as well, that people have made different lists of. At the end of the day, those, the description of Allah in the Holy Quran is more vivid and clear and easy to understand than in any other religion, than in any other description anywhere else. And so when you want to worship Allah, you want to be like Him. You want to act like Him. You want to embody the attributes of Allah. So that is the actual purpose of our lives. It is to be as much, as close as we can to the being of Allah Almighty in whatever is our capacity. Obviously many of us cannot do certain things that Allah Almighty has. There are certain attributes that are above our capacity. While there are others that are very much tangible, you know, being Rahim, being Rahman. You know, again, the beauty of the Holy Quran is that it's not just a simple gracious and merciful. Many of us say this translation, but we don't get deeper into what it means. You see, Rahman and Rahim are two different meanings, and they actually talk about two different attributes of Allah. Rahman being those who 
All, all people are blessed with the attribute of Rahman. You and I have air to breathe. You and I have the ability to live our lives. We have various things that we all equally have a chance in. Whether it's our organs working properly, whatever it is, saliva in your mouth, whatever that may be. Each and every one of us has an equal share of a certain attribute or certain, uh, sorry, favor or benefit from Allah Almighty. But Rahim is another attribute which actually means that you get goodness from the goodness you do. You get rewarded. So it's not equally for everybody. It's only for those who do goodness. And again, it shows you how even people who don't believe in religion, even when they do goodness, they are also rewarded. Entrepreneurs nowadays who are shifting towards activism and helping the world and you know, people like Bill Gates, they find pleasure in helping people. And they've done countless studies like this. They once took a group of 100 people, 50 of them then sent them with $100 and said, go and spend this $100 on yourself. The other 50 they sent and said, spend this $100 on somebody else. And when they returned, they tried to track their level of happiness. The result of course was that those who spent on themselves were indeed happy, no doubt. But some of them were equally happy or less happy than those who spent on somebody else. Showing very clearly, right, in a, in a worldly sense, that even when you do good to others, in the most worldly sense possible, even then Allah has, because He is Rahim, induced some goodness there. So it turns back to where our responsibility as an abd is. As one who worships Allah. أَلَيْسَ اللَّهُ بِكَافِنَ abduhu. Is Allah not sufficient for His servant, His true servant? The servant who embodies their life in the image of Allah, tries to be like Allah, is kind, is generous, is rewarding, is whatever you can possibly imagine, is, a, is complete embodiment of goodness, is a, you know, in a way creates and spreads goodness. That is really how you become an abd. And again, there's many, many layers there. But in some, the Promised Messiah has said, in a very beautiful way. He said, if I were to summarize religion, I would summarize it in two ways, or two words, or in two phrases. One is the love of Allah, and the other is the love of humanity. That is literally the most beautiful way of summarizing all of religion. As long as you do your due rights to Allah, and you do your due rights to humanity, you are now fulfilling your rights as a religious person, or in this case, as a servant of Allah Almighty. So this is again some of the layers that we should always remember as we dive deeper into what it means and how alayhi sallahu bi-kafin abdu can apply on you and I. And I would like to share one instance today um, from the life of the Holy Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So the incident goes such that let's go to a point when now has the Holy Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is a little bit older. Now he's at an age where, you know, you and I understand even in this day and age, what is a typical age that people get married? Maybe not nowadays, but how about, about 50 years ago? How old did people get married about 50 years ago? Alim Sahib? 25. 25, you sure? No. No? How about 100 years ago, Alim Sahib? How, did, how old did they get married? 15. About 15, 20, right? If you were really old, you would get 25, right? That's like, 
you're too late at that point. Um, Ali himself is telling us from personal experience, by the way. But at the end of the day, 1400 years ago, the concept was similar. That people would not wait that long. But you and I know that our master Prophet Muhammad وسلم, was now 25 years old. And if you wonder why, the answer is very simple. He was an orphan child. He was what you would consider neglected among society. He was not, again, somebody people would choose. Right? We all talked about how Alima even reluctantly chose him. right? And all the other women who came to take him in, they all basically denied him. But of course, there was that one person that Allah had decreed that would be the best suited person for him. And so, when he's at this age of 25, because he's an orphan, he has no inheritance, he has no source of income, he is as, you can say, poor as they would get. He has no funds from his uncle, because his uncle is also very, very tight on funds, doesn't have any money. And so he's looking for various jobs, odd jobs, so to speak, in order to make a living and continue his life. And so he found out about a caravan that would be going to Syria, and he was able to be hired by a wealthy lady, who simply hired him on the account that he is known as Amin, as a trustworthy person. She wanted that her caravan should be managed by such a person. Again, so she hired him as a manager, who would then take all of this, these goods, take them to Syria, sell them, and return with whatever income was made. And when he returned, her income was far more than she had ever received before. You know, when you have this expectation of, you know, you sell something, you make a certain amount of money. But this was a lot more. So she was a bit confused. <laughs> How is this possible? So she asked those who, she, who worked for her, who he was managing, that why did I get more money back this particular time? What happened? Did people pay more or what happened? They said, no, the person you appointed as a manager, he wouldn't let us touch anything, any money, all of it, exactly how much it was sold, he made us bring it all the way back and give it to you. Not a single cent was moved here and there. Now obviously this would, for anybody who's an owner of a business, would be very pleased with this type of behavior. She was very surprised, very shocked. And it so happened that This impressed her a lot. Not just impressed her, she was almost shocked. And she shared this with her friends as well. Now, can you imagine that this person went and brought me back so much in terms of wealth and everything. Now, at this exact same time, remember the state of the Holy Prophet Muhammad He was at a state where, again, I told you he's an orphan. He's at the... He's, at, he's passing the age of marriage now. He's extremely poor in terms of his income. Now who on earth would give their daughter to such a, such a person in this state? Again, as I mentioned, as a Halima rejected him, this was those instances where anybody would simply reject him on account of his lack of income or inheritance or whatever. Now one day she's sitting there and talking to her friend, this wealthy woman. And the friend, her girlfriend so to speak, said that you're never going to find anyone like this. He's so trustworthy. Why don't you consider 
to marry him. Now this wealthy woman responded in a very interesting way. I'll read how Hazur wrote it first just to give you that the feeling of <laughs> what, what, what she said. He says, Is Dolat Mand Auratne Apni Seheli ko Jawab diya ke hai to tumhari baat thik lekin agar ye baat mere baap ne sun li to wo mujhe jaan se maar dalega. Seheli ne kaha tum is baat ki fikr na karo ye sab intizam mein khud kar lungi. This wealthy woman said that if I were to propose to marry such a poor man my father will kill me. <laughs> He will absolutely have the end, I will see the end of my life by my own father. So her friend says, don't worry, don't worry. Let me manage it, let me handle it. You just focus on your work, I'll take care of it. So she goes as a third party to the Holy Prophet Muhammad and proposes this idea of a wealthy woman who is, would, be, would like to give a proposal for marriage. What did he say? What would most people say at that time? They would say, absolutely, alhamdulillah, right? Subhanallah, I've hit you know, jackpot. But his response was, I have nothing. Why would a rich woman want to marry me? I have nothing to offer. Why is there some, something, something is off here. Why, why on earth would she want to marry me? And this is what her response was. Again, a beautiful response. And the reality of what I tell many of our guys as well nowadays. You're running after a career, after a job, after this you know, six-figure you know, career, so, so to speak. But that is not what brings happiness. This, her response here, gives happiness. She said, you have that thing which every woman likes. You have trustworthiness and you're a decent man. What you have is far greater than wealth. And that's the reality of it. That's exactly what this mosque and what Islam really enjoins on us. Is that we want you to raise yourself morally. We want you to be a better, a more decent, a trustworthy, an exemplary person. That itself will bring you happiness. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how many, like I said, how many cars or homes or whatever your portfolio is. At the end of the day, this is what will truly bring happiness inside the home. And then he responded... He said, I can't marry without the permission of my uncle. So again, the girl said, no problem. The lady said, no problem. I will go to him and speak to him as well. So she did. She went to his uncle. And he said, I agree. I approve of this. And then they got married. Now again, rewind for a second. 25-year-old orphan, completely neglected by his family, no inheritance, no money, no career, no job, nothing. And at that very instance, he has no way of finding a way to marry somebody. He has left it to Allah. But Allah then makes such a way where he gets employed, his true character becomes revealed, where she would not want to marry him for any ulterior motive, but the truth behind who he is. And then of course she herself is the one who sends a proposal and he of course then agrees. This is nothing shy of a laysallahu bikafin abdu. There are many many other layers to the story and I will again share them in the coming weeks. But uh, for today I would like to end it here 
Because what is critical again is that Allah Almighty can make a way. There are many people who may be looking for a, a rishta or a, you know, a proposal even now, boy or girl. And of course we pray for them that Allah Almighty finds them the right suit, the, their soulmate so to speak. But again at the end of the day, if we turn to Allah, we show our sincerity, we help Allah Almighty, it may feel like an alayhi salah moment, alayhi salah wa kafin abdu moment. But if you strive hard enough and you connect with Allah Almighty, even then Allah Almighty can make a way and show you somebody from out of absolute miracle. I have seen many people even among my family and others as well who have seen these prayers be accepted as well. So again we pray for all of you that Allah Almighty can help uh, find those difficulties that you have and wash them away with a single blink of an eye. Inshallah. Allahumma salli ala Muhammadin wa ala ali Muhammadin wa barik wa sallim inna ka hamidu